I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Your source for big game talk. It's off tackle. Empire! Welcome to Michigan Week on Off Toggle Empire, the only sports blog that's devoting this much time to the Big Ten instead of just asking the easy questions, which is, well, what's Ohio State's road to the playoffs look like this year? And, you know, do they stand a chance against Alabama and Clemson? Uh, We're actually looking at the other teams, and one of the many other teams is the Michigan Wolverines. There's uh, no shame in it. Everybody is. But uh, anyway, it is Michigan Week. I'm Steve Braun with Andrew Kuchesky, and you're listening to Off Tackle Empire. So- yeah, mul- multiple sauces can confirm that Michigan is not Ohio State. There, is, there are other teams in the Big Ten. So we're going to look into this a little further this week, a little earlier than a program of Michigan's pomp and importance might be to being placed in an offseason series such as this going in reverse order of quality. Well, yes. Michigan is the kind of program that, you know, even if you started an NCAA football video game dynasty in a year, like on a game year where they were bad, they always end up number five or something like that to start. The oh, season. yeah, for sure. They, anyway, they get all the all the presumptions of built in advantages um, because EA hasn't bothered to actually I mean, when they still made the game. I keep hearing if that's actually going to happen again. But anyway, so. In, yeah, in the- but it's going to be with Madden mechanics. So who cares? Yeah, in the context of Big Ten 2021 here on Off Tackle Empire, Michigan is a program that views itself as an August preview, which most of the time is actually a July preview, but right now is a May preview and all that that entails. Oof. Yeah, I did want to mention, I, of course, play NCAA 2010 because I still can't get over Illinois' 2009 season, and I want to view it through the, through the hopeful eyes that I once had as a young, naive you know, college fan. But in that one... Uh, UNC and Cal are for some reason they just never leave the top 10 in that one I I don't quite understand but anyway Michigan is basically rebooting a large portion of their coaching staff in year seven yeah what could go wrong and it's not that this was an undeserved choice by the way because for all the especially the first couple years he was there Don Brown's defenses were extremely good consistently top 10 top five and then as time went on as often happens with defensive schemes opponents figured out the counter punches and he having built this scheme that made him his name did not make the corresponding adjustments to the adjustments and so they replace an admittedly inflexible Don Brown because in interviews he basically said look the system we run is what we run and we're not changing and whenever a coach says something like that it's like oh this guy is doomed Capital D doomed. And by the way, just for betting purposes, just so you're aware, for betting purposes, Lovey Smith is the Houston Texans defensive coordinator. Yeah. So you're going to want to bet the over in pretty much every Texans game. You're going to want, and look, the Texans are going to be bad this year. I mean, they're going to, 
especially if they don't if Deshaun Watson's situation doesn't change. You can't imagine him playing necessarily. If he doesn't play, they could lose every game. And Lovey Smith is running their defense in 2021. But we digress. Don Brown had, and it's weird for a guy that's been around forever to go through this, but he basically had the, he basically had the rookie position player in baseball phenomenon where, you know, he had a bunch of success and then people figured out that there was a, you know, that there was a specific pitch that he couldn't hit. And then he was just, ah, he's not really good anymore. And it's going to take him, you know, a while to adjust. And maybe he never comes back. Yeah. And it's not exactly like he had offers around the block. He ended up taking the defensive coordinator job at Arizona. Do you know who the head coach at Arizona is now? Oh, that's Jed Fish. Yeah. You know why I remember it? Because in my very vast list of coaches to hire, uh, I had him in my, oh, God, no tier. (laughs) Right. And like amazingly uninspiring. Yeah. Arizona had no choice but to cheap out because they had to pay Kevin Sumlin a fortune to go away. (laughs) So that's the situation Don Brown ended up in, in a doomed program as being lapped by Herm Edwards at Arizona State. So um, that, I guess, is the price for failing to adjust your scheme is you have to go and coach at Arizona. That's what we're learning, really. Yep. So that's, I mean, well, well, somewhere in the south to western United States, somewhere between Houston and Arizona, when you're when your scheme fails and you don't adjust, you end up coaching there as a defensive coordinator. But, you know, look, it, as far as retirement destinations go for a man of Don Brown's age, Tucson's not the worst place you could end up. So let's look then at what Michigan has replaced him with. Uh, That would be a 30-something NFL assistant, Mike McDonald, formerly a linebackers coach, I believe, with the Ravens, coached notoriously by Jim Harbaugh's brother, so presumably he comes well-recommended. But a 30-something NFL assistant who has never called the defense. So the hope here, obviously, which we mentioned when we talked about this hire when it first happened, the hope here is... There have been other relative unknowns. Ryan Day was a relative unknown when Urban Meyer made him the offensive coordinator at Ohio State. The hope that Jim Harbaugh, I have to assume, is pursuing is that that's going to be what he's getting with McDonald. There's a key difference there, and that is that Ryan Day was called to take over a program that was firing on all cylinders, whereas McDonald is being called to take over a defense that uh, that has developed a misfire and is currently down a cylinder. Oh, yeah. A single misfire would be a generous characterization uh, of what Michigan. I mean, it's knocking pretty alarmingly. Like, I I wouldn't want to continue driving at this point. Like, modern cars, the transmission detects things like this and goes into limp mode and caps it at 20 miles an hour. Yeah, they're going over to a completely different system as well. So Don Brown's system was almost entirely man-to-man. They attempted to mix a little bit of zone in last year and really didn't go well because... None of these guys had played much zone before. And what they're going to do now is kind of the in vogue system from the NFL, which is pattern matching. And that requires the entire secondary to be able to correctly interpret after the snap, the opponent's route combos to then determine if they're in man or in zone, which can be hugely effective if it works, because as the name suggests, it allows you to better match up with what the opponent's doing once they're actually doing it. But it also creates a lot of chances for busted coverages if guys misread what's happening in front of them. Do they play Purdue? Do they play Purdue? Let's flip over to schedule. They do not. Ah, that would have been fun. Hey, but I mean... I mean, mean, who knows? Could have ended in a shutout. 
could have ended in a shootout, but had the ingredients for fun. And the thing is, a, a man-based scheme should have yielded pretty good results at Michigan because they were all they've always been recruiting pretty good linebackers and defensive backs. It just doesn't work against Ohio State because they're not recruiting surefire NFL guys at every position. Well, and they had struggles against some other teams as well because they do have real speed problems at corner. They have guys who are pretty well regarded as recruits, but, and I've heard this from various Michigan folk, that there's a consistent weakness in their cornerback room right now, which is none of these guys are all that fast. And which so putting, you'd figure that this, ma- that this uh, pattern matching would help them to better compete with teams of the sub-Ohio State class. Yeah, insofar as it puts them in more zone concepts, for sure. It's gonna, it should make better use of their personnel, but that's assuming they pick up a system quick enough to not just constantly screw it up, which, look, those first few games, they could be rough. Now, the good news for Michigan on defense is they do have a couple of All-American caliber guys that McDonald has to work with, Daxton Hill at safety and Aiden McDonald defensive end, or um, Aiden McDonald, Aiden Hutchinson at defensive end, although Hutchinson's coming off a broken leg. It was long enough ago. You would assume he'll be good to go. So they've got a couple of proven commodities, and then they've got a whole bunch of guys who are upperclassmen who frankly have kind of struggled. So they can either stick with those guys or they can go with the next cohort of players and hope that they're good enough to not only bump the seniors to the bench, but give them improved play. And that's a stretch because as you said, a lot of these guys, especially in the front seven, pretty well regarded as recruits themselves and have a lot of experience. So how do you want to proceed if you're Michigan? Do you want to go with the guys who kind of have their demonstrated ceilings or do you reach a little bit knowing that you're, you're switching systems already. There's going to be some growing pains, no matter who you play. Maybe you go with the guys that will be back for another season or two after that in hopes that, you know, in 22 or 23, you really have something cooking once those guys know your system. Well, and that depends on whether or not you're aware as a head coach that you are now in a prove-it contract. And I think he is keenly aware of this because the almost unthinkable situation last year where he he basically agreed to take an enormous pay cut and vastly reduce his buyout uh, almost seemed like, uh, hey, could you go please try and find an NFL job so we don't have to like get ugly here oh okay well I guess let's see what you know they 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 couldn't do their boy dirty but I mean everybody knows what the deal is right now this is not this has become a situation where expectations are no longer being met and it is starting to the the there's there's not really much of the buzz left because that 2016 team was that 2016 was five years ago yeah Um, so in this situation, yeah, I could totally see how you'd want to take a big roll of the dice. And in theory, when you look at what they're going to try to run, it should, once it gets up to speed, it it should be a system that allows them to better do the thing that Jim Harbaugh, Michigan has generally done, which is beat teams with inferior talent and stifle them defensively. Um, I don't know that it's, going to enable them to take a shot at Ohio State. But how do you take a shot at Ohio State now? How do you do it? Well, you do it by recruiting at a top five national level, which Michigan hasn't done. They've been top 10 to top 15. But as we've seen, that just results in a gap that's less cavernous than is between Ohio State and most other teams. 
at least in some regards. I mean, Ohio State. Congratulations. State's You're the 10th wealthiest person in the world. Jeff Bezos can still buy your family. Well, sure. And I'm, I'm not going to let you turn this into yet another doom cast about how good Ohio State is, because I still think that's overblown because they have lost games in the last few seasons. And we've been over that, but we're not having that argument again. Not to the likes of us. Anyway, offense. What are we doing? What are we looking? What, what are we looking at? What are we seeing? What do we want to see? What do we think is reasonable to see? So what the bare minimum expectation should be, it, I can't even remember. Is this year two or year three under Josh Gaddis? Year three, right? I mean, it is always going to be difficult to remember whether things happened last year or 2019, because last year just seems kind of like a, like a, you know, like the kind of really vivid dream that you have when you fall back asleep after waking up early in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like, I'm pretty sure these things happened, but like, was this just me revisiting events that happened earlier or did this actually like happen in some discrete space time? Well, like either way with the personnel they've got, their run game should be really good. Um, losing Jalen Mayfield was a little bit of a surprise. He, I think he ended up as what, like a fourth round pick or something. Um, for a guy who played barely a season, that was really surprising, but apparently, I mean, he, you know, mid-round pick, he's going to, he's at least going to make a roster. He's going to get a contract. So he made the right call, but I kind of doubt they were expecting it. That being said, even with him gone, they have good experience on the offensive line. I mean, it doesn't sound like they know for sure who their starting group is going to be, but you can pretty much pencil in Ryan Hayes at left tackle, Andrew Vistardis at center, probably Andrew Stuber at right tackle. Those are three fourth, fifth year players. Um, that's a pretty solid foundation. And the reason things are otherwise unsettled is they've got a lot of promising young offensive linemen who've looked pretty good when they've played. So whatever group ends up on the field. Um, oh, and, uh, Zach Zinter is definitely going to be in this playing group because he's one of the guys they let talk to the media and that's, they have to trust you under this program for that to happen. So those are f- probably four of the guys that who knows who goes where exactly. But their offensive line, they should be fine. Last year was a little bit of a proving ground for a lot of these guys who were in newer opportunities after the previous year, the entire line graduated. Um, But having spent last year kind of learning, there's promise on the offensive line. So that's a place you can be reasonably confident, as is the running back group. So Zach Charbonnet transfers out. I always thought he was a little overrated anyway. And it could be an addition by subtraction thing there because now – there's one less excuse to not give Hassan Haskins 20 carries a game, which is what they should be doing because he's their best running back, probably the best offensive player. And then they can mix Blake Corman, who's the, the speed merchant, big play threat, and they'll use a little bit of Donovan Edwards, a much ballyhooed incoming freshman from here in Metro Detroit as well. So their one game should be really, really good. If it's not, then that's a problem because the other side of the coin is going to be a little bit less certain. Well, the question here is, you, you talk about they've got pretty solid talent in all the positions that you need to run the ball. They've got experienced talent all across the line. They've got, they've got a couple of backs that you, know, you trust to give 20 carries, 20 touches a game to. So this question may sound ridiculous on its face, but in the year 2021, this is a real concern. Can they punch with it? Can they move the ball against Indiana? Yeah, against a team that you, that is going to dedicate resources to stopping the run first and foremost. You know, a couple of years ago, it would have been, can you move the ball against Michigan State if you're run first and run second? Um, 
So yeah, that being it'll it'll be interesting to see. It'll it'll be interesting. Well, they'll get a much stiffer test a lot earlier, but we'll get to their schedule later. Yeah. Uh, in the quarterback room, uh, we we've continued the the Harbaugh quarterback cycle as Joe Milton's rise and fall was fairly quick. Boy, you really could. Uh, it, it's a program that memes itself in some ways, isn't it? Because even before Milton played a snap as the starter. The local press here was all over him, printing all this stuff that anybody cared to say of, oh, comparing him to Cam Newton, comparing him to this guy, comparing him to that guy. And then there's the pushback, like, hey, you know, this guy hasn't done anything. You're putting a lot of expectations on him and has a couple of bright moments early on. And the people who are supporting him are puffed up even higher. And then the air comes out of that very, very quickly. And, and the thing is, not only, not only has he not lived up to expectations, but he is gone altogether. Uh, Dylan McCaffrey didn't didn't transfer last year. He just quit the team. He was still at Michigan. He just didn't play. And so after wow. that, wow. So what's he doing now? Well, now he transferred to where's his dad coach? Northern Colorado, I think. Ah. Um, I don't know if it's FCS or what, but a lower division. I think they're I coach. think they're D two actually. Yeah, it might be, but it, either way, it's a lower division school where presumably he'll play for a year and then go back to a bigger school or. Maybe he tries to go the Josh Allen route and just you just have all this, you know, throw the ball over the mountains kind of thing. That's probably why you go to a school in Colorado or Wyoming is to prove you can throw the ball over them mountains, which will make <laughs> the NFL draft you. So, and the thing about, you know, going back to Joe Milton is that, you know, of course, everybody's going to hype up the guy that wins the job uh, preseason because he, he kind of has to be pretty good um, in theory, winning in a, quarterback room that's in theory star-studded when you look at recruiting rankings but man the it, it almost felt like after the Michigan State game especially with his with this interview after the game all the right like is on the line like it, yeah. yeah like it, it, it was already it was already over then because you could actually see some of the upside that they were talking about but boy it's not that it didn't develop it's that it just seemed to got it it fell apart really really quickly yeah, it was Chekhov's Remarkable. comment after a loss. There was no other way that could have ended up other than him washing out and transferring out. So um, Cade McNamara is probably the guy that if you're Jim Harbaugh, you go to because he started games. But of course, you have Alan Bowman now from Texas Tech, which I'm very salty about because <laughs> I own him in a high stakes, uh, long running dynasty league. And he, he'd been the starter at Texas Tech as a true freshman, and I was waiting. He was going to be healthy this year. He was going to be the starter and play in the Big 12. Now, even if he does win the job, I mean, name me a Michigan quarterback that hasn't disappointed from a fantasy perspective since Denard Robinson. Uh, uh, was Jake Rudock okay that one year? Uh, no, he, they were throwing the no. ball like 16 times a game. He had, <laughs> well, he did have one thing in common with Justin Fields. He added the ball up, good as fuck. <laughs> well, yeah, so Bowman's the wild card there. Aside from that, you, you've got McNamara, as you mentioned, who had some flashes last year, also dealt with a shoulder injury, and really the more the season went on, it's like, yeah, this guy might not really have the juice to be the starter long-term. Uh, obviously, we buried the lead a little bit because – Uber recruit JJ McCarthy is going to come in and win three Heisman's and four national titles and everything's going to be great. Just got to get him on the field, get all these other guys out of the way. 
and uh, and everything will be fine, I'm sure. You know, if he does lead Michigan to a Big Ten East title and beats Ohio State, you have no idea how much wailing and gnashing of teeth will come from like all five Northwestern fans. He, he was he was he committed there publicly pretty early on. McCarthy did. Yeah. I, this is why I don't pay attention to recruiting because that's weird and I don't care. Uh, <laughs> so we, to complete the offense, then um, the wide receiver and tight end group is going to be interesting to watch for Michigan. They lost who I thought was their best receiver by a wide margin from last year. I mean, exempting, of course, the fact that Nico Collins didn't play. I understand he would have been their best player had he been out there, but he wasn't. Uh, but Giles Jackson was a guy who, you, know, you get those guys sometimes where he plays for a team you can't stand, but you watch him. It's like, man, that guy's a lot of fun. I really like him. Giles Jackson was that guy for me with Michigan, and he's gone now, as well as who would have been kind of their headliner of the receiver group coming in as freshman, Xavier Worthy, who signed his letter of intent and then asked to be released, I think, before he ever got to campus or maybe shortly afterwards. He would have been another, I mean, if you'd had an offense with Blake Corum and Giles Jackson and Xavier Worthy on the field, that that's top level speed. Like that's Clemson speed. That's Ohio State speed. Not and they've got, but that would have been got, an incredible group of threats to put on the field at one time. Yeah, and they've got some talent. They've got enough talent to put all talented players on the field. But you know, recruiting is a thing where you're not not everybody. You know, most of them aren't going to hit. Most of them aren't going to live up to the potential. So the more numbers you have, the better odds you have of everybody on the field being one that clicked so when you don't have any depth as far as you know living up to potential is concerned then that means that everybody has to live up to their recruiting ranking yeah and they've again even without jackson without worthy they can still put a as you say a starting group out there that's going to be pretty good because a starting group that includes ronnie bell roman wilson cornelius johnson and probably aj henning as your fourth slash slot guy that's a pretty good group um, granted Wilson and Henning were in kind of limited roles last year, but you've got guys that can reliably catch the ball, move the chains. Yes. I know everyone's going to remember Ronnie Bell had that drop against Penn state and that's what sticks out to people, but he's still a guy you can expect to catch 70 balls if you give him that kind of target volume. And then, but then to go along with them, really the only tight end they have who factored into the passing game much was Eric all who in the Michigan games I recall watching last year, it seemed like the coaching staff was really forcing a lot of targets to him. And man, did he drop a lot of passes. Sometimes that kind of thing can be improved with an off season to kind of reset your mental focus and everything. And that's the kind of thing where it's like, look, you, you can't teach his size and his speed. So you just hope that you've improved the mental side of it. But if he doesn't turn things around in a big way, there's not much else in the tight end room that's going to threaten you from a receiving standpoint. Yeah. And of course, AJ Henning is a guy that could absolutely be the unquestioned number one, really the only receiver of note at, at Illinois, but you know, um, is well, that would have required Lovey Smith to go to his high school. And as we've learned, <laughs> very real chance that he might never have done that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing that I thought there was a chance that he was going to, I, I, I was so naive. Um, of course, you know, the, uh, who was it? The boardroom podcast tweeted out a picture of some buff dude and captioned it. WR1. And I'm thinking like, who the hell is that? Like, <laughs> who, who, play, who the hell is, is, is there an unquestioned? Anyway, um, are, I mean, 
I, okay, I think it's time to just run through the schedule here because uh, suffice it to say that these next two seasons are going to make or break, well, not make or break, but basically be Jim Harbaugh's savings throw. Yeah, and or continue. Yeah, right, right. So it's, it's, and really the alternatives here, there's only 20s and ones, I think. I don't know if there's a lot of in the middle outcomes here. Like, I think because of the virtue of that buyout, if he's winning like eight games, that might get you fired too. It's not like an 11 or a 12. Well, any good it depends. It depends if they're competitive in the losses. It depends if this is a situation where you can see how they might have a breakthrough year next year, because as we've touched on, they're transitioning to a new defense, right? They're, sure, having, there's always, they're going to have always, yet another new quarterback. Always, always an excuse though. That's the, uh, that's the flip side of that coin. So, um, yeah, so we'll, if we look at their start. schedule, they start with um, a, a much less terrifying Western Michigan than during yeah. Jim Harbaugh's peak. Yep. And then they travel to, or no, they don't travel to, they yes. host to yeah. Washington. In a nationally televised game. And that'll be an interesting one. I don't know, to be honest, I couldn't tell you the first thing about anyone in the Pac-12 with the possible exception of like Oregon, because the conference has done such a terrible job of promoting itself and keeping itself in the national image. I, they, as soon as Oregon lost last year, it, it's like they, they got Thanos snapped into nothing. They were just gone. And nobody thought or said a word about them after that. So I couldn't tell you if Washington's any good this year or not. I know, they well, I know that Utah wants to play defense and run the ball. I know yeah. that USC is going to run out of talent at some point. Like they're, 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 they're kind of where we are with respect to climate change where it's like, Okay, how, how, how many more of these guys we really have if we're not doing anything to get more? Um, and then Cal, I know, is like probably going to go 500 and maybe tease people into thinking that they're going to break out. I know this because I developed a bit of a relationship with the Cal bloggers uh, because we were both just so goddamn excited to be in a bowl a couple years ago. That's a real bummer of a sentence that you just said, man. Oh, God, we were, we were just thrilled. We were, we, we were, we were each other's best friends. We we're like, hey, hey you're in a bowl. Life grand? Yes. You're in a bowl. We're in a bowl. <laughs> um, my God. So uh, other thing to note about Michigan's schedule, it does they do not have a week zero game. So they also have the bye right away. They don't play in August. Um, Washington is coached by Chris Peterson's former defensive coordinator. Uh, they were always a fairly tough team defensively within the context of, you know, what you might call non-championship level rosters. So this is an early test for the offense, you got to say. Yeah, most likely. It, you, you figure this is going to be a relatively low scoring game, most likely. You know, who's to say? Maybe Washington's found their next great Jake at quarterback and they end up moving the ball up and down the field. It feels like a game that's probably going to end in the twenties though. And then they uh, of course welcome another Mac school to Michigan stadium before homecoming against Rutgers. So anybody remember Michigan's 2020 an instant classic. It was a completely genuine non-sarcastic off tackle empire approved classic. Yes, it was. And if, if Greg Schiano hadn't just been the most NFL coach of NFL coaches, if he hadn't been so determined to prove that he was more of an NFL coach than Jim Harbaugh, Rutgers would have won that game in double overtime last year. I don't know that Greg Schiano out NFL Lovey Smith as much as just kind of lost through some dumb shit, but 
there were, there were a couple of, of big time NFL bona fide pissing matches. And by that, I mean, just kind of like grumpy staring contests. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm making the sounder choice than you are actually. Yeah. So <laughs> that's, we can only hope that that version lives up to last year's iteration. And then the beat drops a little bit after that with a trip to Wisconsin, which granted had a down year in 2020, but has been, there's been a couple, there's been a couple season ruining games against Wisconsin where it's not just that they lost, but it's, Oh, the fan base is not on board with you the rest of this year after that result. Yeah. I would go so far as to say that, that the single result most, responsible for like the the single biggest inflection point in Jim Harbaugh's tenure as far as fan perception most fans perception in my opinion from a performance standpoint the inflection point is uh the the Ohio State game in 2016 but as far as the fans are concerned it was the Wisconsin game in 2019 when it was in September and they just got their shit rocked and Jim Harbaugh looked like he had no idea what to do yeah, that, I mean, that was a tough scene. That's something that's hard to paper over. You know, it, if you're losing to a top three national program like Ohio State, even if they're your hated rival, you're like, all right, well, look, we're just not quite there yet. But boy, if you intend if you intend to be the top contender to an Ohio State, even you can't get run by a team like Wisconsin like that. And, and that's Wisconsin what is probably going to like, I think Wisconsin is the favorite in the Big Ten West, as they often are. And if you don't, it's only because you're thinking about last year, but you may recall that whenever you say, oh, okay, well, this is definitely where Wisconsin drops off, that's when they win the conference t- or the, the division title again. Yeah, well, and it's also, I, I don't know how to, how to phrase that. I'll, I'll just move it. So anyway, the next week, October 9th, you better win this one. It's at Nebraska against, against basically a slightly shittier version of Jim Harbaugh, right? The, uh, the, the, the golden based on, based on substantially, their substantially shit here i'm sorry yeah yeah yeah. yeah. i was gonna say there's worse. no Let's comparison there's no comparison uh, jim harbaugh has won a lot of games yeah at least at their current stops and i understand frost is still early enough that maybe you can say that's not a fair comparison yes but yes not that early well right right but again how much are we really counting last year i'm not i'm not counting yeah. much and again, we're Nebraska's coming sooner than their again than their fan base probably would have liked in this kind of series. But yeah, I think that really the tone set by that Wisconsin game is really going to. So here's how the schedule shakes out: they've got their three non-con games up front. Again, we mentioned the early buy, homecoming against Rutgers. Then they have their three cross division games, which are the trips to Wisconsin and Nebraska we've talked about. Then a buy, followed by hosting Northwestern, and then from the end of October through the end of the season, they have five of their six divisional games where they go to MSU, host Indiana, go to Penn State, go to Maryland, host Ohio State. That's a pretty tough slog at the end. Even if you don't think MSU is going to be any good, they beat them last year. Um, Hard to imagine Maryland's not going to have a talent edge over Michigan, which, I mean, that's how long has it been since you've been able to reasonably say that. But That's nuts. Yeah, well, that is also some commentary on the way Loxley has been recruiting there, but also that there's been a little bit of a fall off. And that's not to say in terms of recruiting rankings on paper, but no, think about what's actually being produced on the field here. I think there's a good chance Maryland goes into that game as the better team. The whole strategy, when you looked at it with Mike Loxley, the whole strategy was we're going to get the Crutes and then the Crutes are going to win the games. Okay, so what kind of offense are you going to be running? One where we got really talented crews. 
What kind of a defense are you going to run? Well, one where we got really talented Crutes. The tempo of the game will be dictated by the tempo of the Crutes. You don't understand. Everything is Crutes. The Crutes are going to call the goddamn place. I mean, look, compared to some of the offenses he's called in the past, would that be the worst? Although, you know, we're seeing now kind of this divergence between how things are going, like the direction that Maryland's offense is going versus the direction Michigan's offense is going that – Maybe Loxley had a little bit more of a hand in those Alabama offenses with him and Gaddis together than we thought. But anyway, Loxley uh, was a very good offensive coordinator at Illinois, um, or at very least by comparison to the guy that replaced him, who put Juice Williams under center in a pro style offense. Which, right. So um, bar is low. <laughs> so okay. So yes, at Wisconsin, at Nebraska, bye week, and then Northwestern, where one of two things will happen. Okay, either you win by three. Or you feel horrible about dropping one of the one of the winning streaks against a program that's actually been winning a bunch. But it is an even year. Northwestern's quarterback situation is kind of up in the air. So better win this one. Oh yeah, because I'm I'm in a place now where I'm like, all right, look, I'm not going to discount Northwestern here. But then the thing is, the last time they were defending a division title, they won four games, right? Or was it three games? Three. I, so. Uh, and, 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 you know, thank God they did beat the absolute breaks off of Illinois that year, because imagine me coming into 2020 feeling good about Illinois. That would have been, look, that would have set you up for a hell of a fall. So it's good that it's good that expectations were. That really was the difference. The bowl game didn't really move the needle that much for me, but that single game just killed everything that I had from that four game winning streak. It was so brutal. Um, anyway. Hey. Brutal in the se- in the sense that, in the sense that like Soviet architecture is real, where it's or is brutal, where it's like yes, this is this is brutal, this is horrible to look at, but you know what it is. At least there's no del- like there's there's no delusion, there's no dressing this up as anything other than. Exactly- oh, I'm thinking more like brutalist architecture, where yeah, it's like, like, oh my god, I feel like my skeleton is on the outside now. Everything hurts. <laughs> uh, so okay. yeah, then they play at Michigan State, and then. Like you said, Indiana at Penn State at Maryland, Ohio State. That's a tough it, November, man. That that really is. The easiest game in there is a trip to Maryland that, like, I, as perhaps you've gathered by now, I'm pretty bullish on them this year. We'll see. I mean, I've been wrong before. <laughs> Remember that time I was bullish on Jeff Brom? Um, I mean, I'm thinking that you, you, you can almost pencil in Indiana. I, I don't know. Indiana is one that they're more likely to lose than not. Um even at home. I mean, I certainly would think Indiana. just the home field advantage is enough for me to not say put it in ink. No, I, I wouldn't write, I wouldn't write any of those things in ink. I mean, Indiana's got enough moving pieces themselves that we'll see if they're able to follow up their breakthrough and hold the ground they gained. But if they don't get to, if they don't get past that Michigan state game at seven and one or six and two, this is going to, this could be like a seven or eight, win season of you know a four or five loss season and in year seven I don't know if that's going to be good enough I think that firmly puts Harbaugh on the hot seat heading into the next season and we get to spend another offseason talking about his job status can't wait I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here as in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment 
That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Let's talk about something that's actually going to be a little bit more pleasant for Michigan fans. That would be a hard pivot to the hoops program. Uh, Went pretty well in year two for Juwan Howard, wouldn't you say? Yeah, uh, there was just a long stretch where they were just constitutionally incapable of losing games. And and they did they did very simple stuff on offense that was very effective because they had people that could run it. In particular, Hunter Dickinson was the engine that made it all work. Um, uh, Mike Smith was a revelation as a as a transfer guy. And, you know, they had some contribution from their returning guys as well and put together a pretty good team although not the best in the big 10 but certainly a, a, a you know oh, a worthy double by team not best in the big 10 here hold on now steve i'm looking i'm looking at the standings here and well i see a i see a denotation of conference champion next to the michigan wolverines what do you mean not the best team in the big 10 well they could have either won the most games or won the big 10 tournament if there was any dispute see yeah Millie, Millie's, Millie's done some woofing. She's, she's on board with my cause here. But I'm just, uh, Steve, I'm just looking at this thing on the screen here and I'm, I'm looking and it's, now there they are right on top. I, that's strange. Anyway. This is for you, Thick Stauskas. I know you're listening. Here's Andrew taking Michigan's side. Uh, I, look, I, I don't think it's fair to say that I did anything other than give Howard all the credit he was due this season. <laughs> um, I'll firmly, I mean, yeah. I still think he was a terrible hire on paper that Michigan happened to roll box cars on when they threw the dice on that one. That doesn't change anything. I, I, it was still a weird hire to make given where the program was when they handed it to a first time head coach. I mean, I don't know. You could see the changes in the sport coming for, for years now where, you know, especially at the level that Michigan wants to compete at that, recruiting and managing your relationships with these players is very important as transfer frequencies have picked up. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. You can't necessarily discount that they understood the value of that, especially when you consider that they had Phil Martelli as a guy to like actually coach the basketball team. Sure. But I don't know what about Howard's assistant stint with the heat would make you think, I mean, aside from the fact that what his own kids were on the AAU circuit at that time, it's just like extrapolating from that to, oh, he's definitely going to know how to work the transfer portal. Um, that, that feels like a stretch that was not supported by facts that were in evidence. Now, again, all of this is a moot point because he's turned out to be an absolute home run hire. Uh, but it certainly helps when he also finds the one in a hundred seven footer who doesn't need to work out for a year and a half to be a useful college athlete. You know, um, it very much helps him that, yeah, that Hunter Dickinson is, far more advanced than typical freshman. He picked the two transfer guards who fit the rest of the team like a glove. And if this is a repeatable phenomenon, if he's able to do that again, plugging Devontae Jones in as the new, I mean, it's a little bit less clear how the point guard situation is going to work out for them this year because they have a talented incoming freshman who they're now no doubt going to want to give some run to, but they also picked up this grad transfer and you can mix Eli Brooks in there at the point a little bit too. The exact minute distribution, I guess, will be interesting. Um, but it's going to be a very different team from last year's title team in that, 
most of their contributors except for Brooks and Brandon Johns and Dickinson are gone. They're completely reloading the deck. But again, it's the good thing here is not only do you get Jones, who's defending conference player of the year out of the Sun Belt, but they've got an incredible recruiting class, a couple of five stars, um, and then a few other guys that honestly I think are the more, more the type that you want to build most of your team out of, which is guys in that you know 30 to 70 range who figure to be multi-year starters, but not necessarily lottery prospects. Um, that's what Frankie Collins is. That's what I think they're getting with Kobe Bufkin, you know, guy and Isaiah Barnes, guys who they're going to have for a few years, and then you mix in the five star, a five star or two, and hope that those guys is upper the um, lesser talented guys as upperclassmen plus your superstars get you to the title. So there's some signs here that he's constructing the kind of roster that's going to give them a title shot, a real national title shot every couple of years or so. Um, I don't know you if there's know, much else to say about that. I mean, I hate it. I absolutely hate it because, you know, of the colors and the name of the school. But there's no denying it. I'm, I, I don't think anyone can accuse me of being anything other than objective on this front. And you mentioned Hunter Dickinson, not only a unicorn in that he was a guy that, that stepped in and was able to play a very, very pivotal role in a very good team, but is also a guy who, as developed as that game is, is going to go to the draft and definitely get, not go to the draft, but, you know, He's, yeah, go he work out for some people and get the feedback of like, hey, dude. I hear they have pretty good weight rooms at Michigan. Well, the feedback he's going to get, I don't think, he, I, honestly, I think he's got pretty close to an NBA body. I think the feedback he's going to get is, dude, you need to jack up some threes this year. <laughs> That's pretty much what the NBA yeah, is going to get, I would that guess. Too. But yeah, the, even though he did officially declare that he's going through the process, he has an agent who is NCAA certified, so he can come back. I think it's mid-July at some point is when he has to come back from the NCAA side of things. So just based on the way his announcements worded, it's pretty clear that he's going to be coming back. I'd give maybe a 5% chance that he actually stays gone. If that um, he's going to, he should be, I mean, can you think of anyone who's a better candidate for preseason conference player of the year? If you're being totally honest, I, I don't think I can. No, I mean, I, you know, of course, part of me wants to say that Andre Curbelo is pro, but uh, realistically he's a candidate for like, unanimous all team all team like runner up for that because <laughs> he's definitely going to put up numbers and be fun to watch but you know basically we're in a situation where if Kofi Coburn comes back then uh, Michigan can go ahead and defend that title against basically the same team that beat the shit out of him last year that'll be fun um but yeah basically wow. buying stock so in you're at the point now where you think Corbello's gonna be IO next year I've said since before he came here that I thought he had better point guard upside than IO. Oh boy. Um, and they look at your running back. You've got Demonte Williams and Trent Frazier back. I get yeah. go off with that prediction, man. That I, being I, said, I mean, buying stock in Michigan right now is basically like buying GameStop at the beginning of May, where it's like, wait a minute, weren't they just really good? How much more room is there possibly for this thing to, to run up? And well, now we're sitting here at the end of May, and it turns out like a lot. It seems really dumb, but yeah, oh, yeah. turns it, out there's a lot more upside. It seems preposterous to think that they could really that they could realistically have a much better outcome than they did last year, but it's possible. Yeah, it's, the upside it's, that this not only possible, possible but likely. Oh yeah, because because nothing that you or I like or enjoy is ever going to happen in this world. It's all going to be negative outcomes, and so yeah, 
I have no doubt that Michigan will be a top five preseason team and actually live up to it this year. Like that'll be what happens as Tom Izzo withers into the sunset. Yeah, can't wait. Going to enjoy it. Just, just happy to be here, everybody. Your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle. Empire.